Hello and welcome to Secrets of Organ Playing podcast. We are your hosts, Vidas Pinkavichus and Oshamut Zeta Pinkavichin. We've been mastering secrets of organ playing for more than 20 years and sharing them on this blog since 2011. On this show, which we create from our home in Vilnius, Lithuania, we strive to help you grow in every area of organ playing, including practice, technique, repertoire, sight reading, hymn playing, improvisation, composition, music theory, harmony, and many others. Our hope is to help you become a complete musician, or what we call as total organist, a program which we have created to help you reach your dreams faster than you would do on your own. If you are new here, we invite you to subscribe to receive free updates of this blog at organduo.lt. By subscribing, you will also receive free video on how to master any organ composition and 10-day organ playing mini course. And now let's go to the podcast for today. I am now here with uh, Samuel Gidi, uh, a talented young organist, uh, virtuoso uh, from Australia. I'm here sitting in my church right now. And uh, uh, I don't know where Samuel is at the moment, but I, I suspect he is uh, in Australia, right, Samuel? Yes, I'm in my house, actually. Great. So yeah. be- before we uh, start our conversation, I would just uh, uh, add that uh, I, con- I came into contact with Samuel through our common friend, organist from Australia, James Flores, who introduced me to Samuel's work and uh, and uh, and I was very delighted that uh, I can talk with uh, with Samuel and so I want to thank uh, James uh, for introducing Samuel to me and I also want to uh, say hello to our common friend from from the United States Tyler Bermer who also met uh, I met Samuel in Sydney in, in the organ competition there in the past. So they all both know each other. So a small yeah. world, right? Very exciting. Yeah. So we will right, things. Thank you so much, Samuel, and welcome to the show. Thank you, and thank you for having me. Now we usually start these conversations with, uh, with the story about uh, how how an organist fell in love with the organ in the, yeah. in the early days. Do you remember the story? Yeah, I was, um, so I actually learned the piano since I was five years old. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was when I was 12 that there was a church near where I lived um, that was actually offering scholarships for organ lessons. And I hadn't really thought about that be- before because I, um, the church where I went actually didn't have an organ. And so I didn't really hear organ music very regularly. But then a friend um, recommended that I think about maybe applying for this scholarship for organ lessons at this church. So I thought, yeah, I might do that. Um, I went along for an audition for that. I think I had to play a piano piece and then also sight read a piece on the organ. It was a very simple one of, I think, one of the eight short preludes and fugues. Not the fugue, just the prelude. Um, and I remember just being fascinated by um, the the fact that there was a whole keyboard to be played by your feet. I didn't really know about that before. And that was just something that really captivated me at that age. Um, Fortunately, there was actually a church about five minutes walk from where I lived with my family at that time. And they had an organ and they very kindly said that I would be welcome to practice there when I started 
taking lessons. So that was how I began. And since then, I've really enjoyed it and kept going. Do you remember how many years ago that was? How old were you? Yeah, that was, um, that was in 2011. So um, almost nine years ago now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So what kind of organ were you playing at first? Do you remember the first, first organ that you touched? Yeah, well, I think the first organ that I played was um, at this church in Canberra in Australia where I um, went for the audition before I had lessons. And it was a three manual organ with electric action um, in quite a big church, quite a, a um, reverberant space. And I think um, hearing the sound, which was just obviously so different from the sound of a piano, that was one of the things that really captivated me. But then the church where I practiced on near my house was actually very different. It was a small church and a small two manual organ, only 10 stops, I think, and mechanical action, which was obviously really good for my technique at that point. And a very dry acoustic as well. So I could hear everything that I was doing. Um, I think it's actually good. It didn't, didn't flatter my playing. <laughs> it it um, showed up exactly how I was playing. And I think that was a really helpful thing for my technique. So Samuel, usually people, when they fall in love with the organ, it's yeah. because of a few reasons. Probably sometimes yeah. uh, uh, fascinates uh, the grandeur of the instrument, like uh, like yeah. the majest majestic view, arch architectural placement, yeah. um, or the mechanical wonders inside of the yeah. instrument. I yeah. just talked yesterday with uh, with the French uh, uh, organist uh, Professor Christophe Montou, and he said that uh, for him it was the very low uh, uh, sounds yeah. of the organ, the depth, you know, for him yeah. decades ago. So, what about you? What fascinated? Uh, yeah, personally, you. Good question. I think um, one of the things for me was actually the touch of the organ, because it's obviously so different from the touch of a piano, which is very um, sensitive to the amount of pressure that you use and to the way that you play it. And I had actually found with piano, I'd been learning piano for about seven years before I started the organ. And my teacher said that he thought that I was um, quite musical in the way that I played, but that maybe piano wasn't really the right instrument for me. And I thought, oh, okay, like maybe I should learn violin or something instead. Um, but when I started playing the organ, I think what I realized was that the way that I had been trying to play a piano before, and it didn't really work on the piano, that actually was perfect for the organ. And I think that's what I really loved about the instrument from the beginning, was the touch just felt very natural to me. Mm -hmm. So, very different touch from the piano, but quite natural yeah. to you, right? Felt, uh, felt. I think so, yeah. And I think um, it's hard to say how much of that is at a kind of nature thing and how much is um, more just because of the way that I learned. I don't really know, but I definitely find playing the organ feels a lot more natural than playing the piano for me. Mm -hmm. So I heard you listen. You mentioned eight little preludes and fugues, right, at the beginning. Yes. Uh, so that was the first collection you played, or something? No, that was that was actually just something that I had to um, sight read during this audition. Um, oh, nice. But then the first, the in the my first organ lesson, I um, was given the prelude in G major, BWB five six eight. I'm not sure if you know it. It begins with that um, low G in the pedal, and then da 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 da. In, uh -huh. uh, not very popular. 
Yeah, no, it's not very commonly played. And I thought, oh, this is quite a hard piece because it has semi-quavers in the pedal and it's, um, <laughs> I thought I wasn't really ready for this. Um, but my teacher, Philip Swanton, he said he thought it was a really good challenge. And I think he was right, actually. I think um, within a, a, a few months, playing the pedals started to feel a lot more normal and I didn't have to look down at my feet so much to see where all the notes were. So I think it was great. So having a piano background before and yeah. coming to the organ later, was the yep. pedal playing for you the most challenging thing at first? I think so, yeah. I think at first. And um, posture as well when playing because obviously with piano, when your feet are resting on the floor, um, you don't have to balance yourself so much. You can... Um, your weight is actually transferred to the floor in a way. Whereas when you're playing the organ, because um, you can't really lean on the pedal board because <laughs> that's another keyboard as well. So you have to be a lot more um, a lot more balanced and maybe sit up a bit straighter when you're playing. I remember um, shortly after I started learning organ, I was having a masterclass with um, Daniel Malt, an yes. English concert organist who you probably know. We and will, um, we will, by the way, we will have a conversation with him in a few weeks. <laughs> right, excellent. He said to me, he said, um, "Are you a pianist?" And I said, "Yeah." And he said, "Oh, you look like you're playing a very beautiful Bosendorfer, um, which is great if I'm playing piano." But, <laughs> but actually, um, I think the the posture thing was something I needed to adjust to a little bit with the organ. So that was yeah one of the other challenges as well. I remember when I first first started playing the organ. For me, it was shifting positions from right to left. Right. It was very difficult with feet, you know. Yeah, and if you I have that something you could... up the top of the pedal board and then down the bottom as yes, well. Yes. Yeah. I didn't know that you could push off with the. Yeah. I didn't know that, so I had to right. lean forward oh, to, to, reach to reach a long way. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh, so interesting. So did you play, happen to play any hymns at that time too? I did, yeah. I um, At this church where I practice, I played, I started playing there once a month because they had another organist there who normally played. Um, but I would play there one Sunday every month and normally four hymns during the service, um, which is of course very different from playing repertoire because you have to be leading the congregation and listening to them um yeah i i didn't really spend much time in my lessons playing hymns i think my teacher thought um repertoire is a more interesting thing to, to work on during the lesson and i actually agreed with that but i think um playing hymns is actually a really important skill to learn as well and maybe something that's not as well taught as it should be mm -hmm. but for you probably it wasn't very difficult because you were a good sight reader i guess so yeah <laughs> yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you could treat uh, any hymn like a very, very small, complete composition, like organ composition. Right, yeah. And if people yeah. are struggling with four-part texture, they could uh, probably uh, practice one, one line at a time, one part, then two parts, yeah. two, then three-part combinations, and finally yeah. four-part texture. Not too many people have, um, you know, time to do this on every... No. Every single hymn, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. It doesn't hurt at, at, at the beginning. Yeah. Uh, one thing I also um, find quite helpful sometimes is maybe when I'm practicing a hymn, I might um, choose maybe like the tenor voice and sing that, that voice while I play. And that's actually a really good way of um, 
of just hearing the different parts, which I try to do that when learning fugues and things as well, to play some voices and sing others and, yeah, just oh. get it all in my head. In my, yeah. No, sing tenor voice, but not play tenor voice, yeah? Maybe, yeah. Yeah, uh, sometimes. That's difficult. That's difficult. It is, yeah, I'm not very good at doing that. That's very good. It's actually... This technique is used in uh, air training lessons here in Vilnius. Uh, really? For professionals, yes. Yeah. It's difficult. At first, people only do two-part texture, soprano and bass, and they switch whichever they sing. And then later, maybe three-part texture and four-part texture at the end of the 12th grade. But that's, yeah. that's yeah, difficult to do. Is that something that um, all different instrumentalists are, are taught or is it more for um, keyboard players or organists or? More for choir conductors, I would say. Maybe I, I, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Well, who, 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 who can play, you know, for protection really well. Yeah. For string yeah. players and, and uh, wind instrument players are less require, required. To make yeah, I, I guess it's less important for them as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Good. So, what happened next uh, when you uh, when you when you started uh, studying organ professionally? When did you decide to enter competitions? Um, good question. I I think the first time that I entered the organ competition in Sydney was um, it was I think 2012. But I only entered the um, the junior section and the intermediate section, which is 18 and under. Um, and I think that really, that was a bit of a turning point for me because I realized that organ was actually something that was exciting and that a lot of, um, not a lot, but that some other people my age were also doing it. And, and also that there was, um, there was prizes at these competitions, which was fun as well. And yeah, I think, um, so I was 12 when I started learning organ and then going in those competitions at age 13 and, and up until I was about, um, well, until, until recently, until I was 18 and 19, that's been a really good learning process for me, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What's your greatest achievement so far in competitions? Um, I think maybe probably this year um, in the, the Silbermann competition in Freiburg, um, I was in the final round for that, but I, I didn't win. I came fifth. So that was, um, I think that was a really good learning experience because I was not really expecting to, to be in the final round. Um, and yeah, realizing how difficult it is to actually practice so much repertoire for different sections of a competition. I spent a lot of time practicing um, the repertoire for round one because I was hoping, oh, maybe I can get into round two. But then I didn't really practice for round three because I thought, oh, probably I, I won't get in. And so, yeah, that was, um, that was a bit of an eye-opener for me. Uh-huh, you yeah. have to be prepared for anything. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh-huh, so yeah, it's a good idea to keep expanding your repertoire because you never know yep. if you ever need the same piece again in the competition. Yeah. You can re-learn yeah. re it and uh, repeat it uh, two years from now, five years from now. It's really good yep. to play it after some some years have passed and you will know the piece really well by that time and feel Definitely, yeah. And there's something really nice that I think about coming back to a piece that you have learned maybe a few years ago and that you've played many times um, 
And you often associate that with a particular time in your life when you learned that piece. And so when you return to it later on, you remember all sorts of things that were happening at that time with, because of that piece and those memories that are associated with that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Wonderful. Um, great. Uh, I think uh, participating in competitions, it's not only about the prizes that you might win or not. Of course, win, yeah. About <laughs> yeah. the experience of preparation also. Yeah, yeah. It's completely different thing from preparing for a regular concert or recital, right? Yeah, definitely. Why is that? Can can you tell us? I think it's hard because um, with competitions, it's very hard not to start thinking about who else is in the competition and like what the standard of the competition is going to be. If you're just doing a concert or a recital, um, you're not thinking about anyone else really. It's just about um, what you're playing and how you would like to play it and and how well you're able to play it but then i think competitions can actually be a very dangerous thing because you can start comparing yourself to other people in ways that's not really helpful because um obviously everyone's playing is different and everyone's learning style is different and so when you're preparing for that it can actually take away from your enjoyment of the music itself um so i think that's one of the dangers and challenges of um of competition preparation but i think on the other hand it can actually be a really good process because you can be inspired by other people's ideas um, i know at the silbermann competition in freiburg for example i i heard other people practicing and i thought oh that's a really good idea i, <laughs> I wish i thought of that <laughs> um, and yeah that you learn so much just from being hearing um people who are also playing the same repertoire as you but maybe come from a very different school of thought or even a different part of the world where they teach differently. And so that's, I think, a really good aspect as well. You know, uh, here last week we had uh, in Vilnius uh, eighth, yeah. the eighth international piano and uh, uh, organ Chirlonis competition. And, yeah. uh, and uh, in organ uh, section, I was present uh, and listened uh, to many of the performance performance. Yeah. Uh, many of them played live and sometimes I play, uh, listen to the uh, live broadcasts over the internet yeah. which isn't the same as sitting in the room no it's not is it but I really uh, had uh, sometimes really fun time to to ex comparing people you know all of them played the required program like like preludium in gym or in E minor, the large one by Nikolaus Bruns. Ah, oh, that's a very good piece. <laughs> yes, very chromatic. Yeah. And it was required for everyone. And I yeah. thought, okay, this person can improvise. Do, do you know the section before the second fugue enters, before this jig? There is a, 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 like a three, two meter and a sequence of chords with progressive. Yeah, uh, it's the chromatic ascending. It's like, da da. Exactly. Uh, um, yeah, yeah, that's a very exciting dramatic bit. Yeah, and you can easily improvise uh, flourishes and cadences between yeah. those chords yeah. and phrases. And I had a fun time comparing people's creativity. You know how much they add uh, yes. flourishes. Some people just add the trills and mordants. That's it. A little bit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and I thought, well, that's a bit uh, too, too, uh, too. You know, 
I wanted more of them. Yeah, and I think there's not very much individuality with that. It's just a, a very obvious thing to do. Yes. But, yeah. And, uh, and nobody really went too far, you know, that when I would say, right. oh, no, no, that's too much. Nobody yeah. <laughs> was really careful and traditional. And that's one of the things about competitions, right? You, you don't yeah. want to be remembered as this someone who does too much right yeah and and in a way you feel like you have to be very safe with what you do like you have to make sure your choices are not too strange or not too um not too adventurous yeah if you think like you have nothing to lose right you came True. here just to have fun right and and yeah. so right. What you can do and it doesn't matter if you go to the second round or not, but you want yeah. To, yeah. to play as much creatively as possible. Yeah. And if, if you have the bravery to do that, then you might be remembered as someone yeah. who can go, who can cross the line and perhaps yeah. it's not the line. Maybe it's not too much, you know? Maybe yeah. it's just, it might actually be really good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I remember listening when i was a student i remember listening to the french virtuoso um, um the blind organist uh, i forget his name now but he was an uh -huh. ex excellent uh, improviser um mm -hmm. i will remember his name shortly but he uh, played uh, um, a suite by by the French master de Grigny, you know, Verbum yeah, Supernum, course, yeah. it was. So he played, and I was looking at the score, and I couldn't follow the score because he would improvise everything on the same yeah. harmony. Harmony was the same, but melodic yeah. ideas were different. The chant was okay. there, but, you know, the, yeah. the melodic progressions were different. Yeah. And I thought, why nobody really plays that way today you know in the yeah. for example that would be that would give an, an impression yeah <laughs> do you enjoy improvising uh, of course absolutely yeah. i remember yeah. gaston lites this was gaston lites that's right yeah yeah okay yeah in fact i improvise every day just before our conversation i improvised three pieces based on the gregorian chant i have this thick Gre Gregorian chant, uh, it's called Graduale Triplex, with three types yeah. of notations, uh, two uh, notations with signs, neums, as we call it, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, one sign was uh, with nota quadrata, uh, basically, uh, with, uh, without the stems, notes in, without okay. stems. Okay. Yep. I open the the score today and play something that is required for the 33rd or 32nd or 33rd week in ordinary time. That was is today, yeah. right? as in a Catholic yeah. liturgy. And I recorded yeah. it and broadcasted it on on Facebook, YouTube, everywhere I can. Yeah. So that I do every day, and um, I encourage other people to do that to share their work, not to. Yeah. Not to, yeah. not to keep it secret. Yeah. But that's enough about me. I, I want to yeah. hear about you. <laughs> so, yeah. Samuel, uh, what do you enjoy about the organ today the most? 
Good question. I think um, I enjoy the fact that the organ is a very rhetorical instrument. It feels like a, a speaking instrument. So that's, I think, one reason why I love music like the, the Bruns, for example, the, the um, preludium that you talked about, because it has that sense of, of drama, almost as though you're giving a speech and you, um, and there are all different gestures and devices that you can use to engage the attention of the audience. Um, and I think that's something that's not true. That's true, not only in like North German Baroque music, but also in romantic music, also in contemporary music as well. I think it's that capacity to um, address people directly that I love the most about the organ. Sharing stories. Yeah, definitely. Musical stories, basically. Musical stories, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're right. Uh, sometimes we lose the context of these stories from the earlier days. In the Baroque times, people yeah. would compose a preludium, like you say, and they, they use all kinds of gestures from the period, from the rhetorical figures, right? And they, yeah. they would know the meaning, exact meaning, uh, yeah. symbolism, right, behind that. Yeah. What kind of passage and melodic figure would would evoke what kind of emotion? It's called yeah. uh, the theory of affects in the Baroque. Yeah. But yeah. today, not too many people know that. And especially no, yeah. the audience, they would, uh, would, uh, we, would have no clue, right, what's going yeah. on musically. Yeah. Yeah. So, Today we have different objectives, maybe to move people emotionally with our music. But in general, probably people could still feel the general idea. If the mode is joyful, right? Maybe the music yeah. is joyful in a major key, so for example. If it's sorrowful, it's in a minor key or in some yeah. frequent mode. It's yeah. impossible to, to, to get the feeling of the music. Mm. Yeah. Uh, what about um, what about improvisation? Do you enjoy it yourself improvising? I do, but I, I'm not very good at it. <laughs> um, I I think what I well, I would like to have some um, structural framework when I improvise, but the trouble is that the context in which I improvise the most is normally at the beginning of a church service, um, yeah. maybe. I play for services of Evensong because I play in an Anglican church in Sydney. And um, so at the beginning of the service, as the choir is processing into the church, I will normally improvise. But I don't really know how long that should be because it depends on how long the choir takes to get down the aisle and, and what time the service actually begins. And so I think it's quite hard to actually have a consistent sense of structure when I do that because I'm more just filling time, if you know what I mean. Just um, And so sometimes I think um, I would like to actually learn to improvise in a more performance setting where I can actually make up a piece that is not just, it's not just background music, but it's actually something for an audience to hear. Mm -hmm. But I've never done that. Um, earlier this year, um, the French organist Thomas Hospital was visiting Sydney and he did some very amazing improvisations um, in some of his concerts. And I think that was really inspiring for me to hear that. Um, yeah, so I'd like to improve in that area, I think. When you hear virtuosos and masters play, let's, yeah. say, let's say improvise, right? Uh, yeah. Sometimes it's inspiring, but sometimes it's intimidating, right? Yeah, it is as well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I cannot do this, uh, you know, 
myself, I will never reach this level myself. Yeah. Right? If you compare yourself to the masters. But for example, with the repertoire, you've been playing for many years now. And first of all, piano, your technique yeah. is really good. Your taste has developed really well. So you understand really well what you cannot do. Yeah. In the moment, like in improvisation, you know what should happen, but you cannot do this still with your fingers, right? But you have a good... Yeah, that's fine, yeah. So I would say the first 20 years are difficult and afterwards it's easy. Yeah, <laughs> that's very encouraging to hear that. <laughs> I think at the moment it feels a bit like I have um, almost physical limitations on what I can do. Like you can hear things in your head, but um, sometimes translating that into a piece, like into something that you play is just um, a bit difficult because um, your hands actually haven't learned how to feel around for the right harmonies. Because I think when you see um, really good improvisers improvise, it's not like they're necessarily thinking about, I mean, obviously they're thinking subconsciously about what chords they want, what harmonies they would like to use. But often it's as though their body actually knows what to do and they don't have to think too much about it. Um, and I think it's that kind of practice that I'd actually like to develop. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But as you say, that takes a lot of time to do that. You know, when you hear somebody who is really, really good and developed yeah. in improvisation, you have to understand that this is a person uh, in a certain stage of his or her development. Uh, yeah. He might or she might still improve five years from now, ten years yeah. from now, might, yeah. might develop something spectacular still. And when we hear them today, we know that we cannot do this right now with our fingers yeah. and feet. So it's it's really helpful to think how did they start? Not yeah. how they do, they do it today, but how did they yeah. play it 10 years, 20 years ago? Yeah. Right? Yeah. And sometimes it's possible to know, sometimes it's not, you know, yeah. unless you, you're having an interview or you you drink a cup of cappuccino together yeah, <laughs> yeah. today right virtual yeah. cup of cappuccino so then, then you can ask those questions and yeah and the person might remember how they started yeah uh, i like to advise people who just start their improvisation journey limit themselves right yeah how about choosing just four pitches like yeah. the type of pitches that you want imagine and uh, like c d e and f or c e flat f and uh, a flat any type of four pitches and yeah. uh, improvise in any sequence any order using any rhythms meters registrations octaves texture mm -hmm. whatever whatever you can do with those four pitches for mm -hmm let's say 10 minutes without stopping set the timer and and go you know and at first your mind would say would actually scream at you what are you doing it's nonsense yeah. four pitches yeah. random yeah. but then if you don't quit something very interesting will happen after five minutes or so or six minutes you start to feel more comfortable right Yes. Because you still have to play something interesting without stopping. And that's yeah. the challenge. And if you keep going until the timer beeps, then you will feel that, oh, 
the time has passed so quickly and I want to actually yeah. pay more on those. Yeah. yeah. So that's a good exercise that I learned, you know, where I once heard a podcast conversation with the famous jazz, jazz singer, uh, Bobby McFerrin. Do you know yeah. his song, uh, Don't Worry, Be Happy? Yes. Yep. Don't worry, be happy. Yes. This, it's a it's a hit, a platinum hit, obviously. But but yep. I've heard uh, he's a brilliant improviser in in vocal settings. You know. Yeah. That if I would teach piano improvisation, he would start with, with actually one pitch, just C, note C, and one and a rhythmic improvisation. One note yep. for ten minutes. Yep. With different rhythms, yep. and then two notes, and then three notes. You know, gradually progressing. Yeah, I feel like four notes. It's something manageable for most people. Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think um, when you have those kind of limits that you are making yourself work within, then you actually discover a whole lot of um, creative ideas that maybe you wouldn't have thought of if you just tried to randomly play something crazy using all the notes um because it actually it's a very focused sort of mental discipline that i think is really helpful yeah and mm. if you want to keep it interesting you can switch to other set another set of four notes in the middle and then come back to the first like a form yeah Yeah. it's possible um Wonderful. So, what's next for you, uh, Sam? Do you have any other um, competitions planned, or maybe recitals coming up? Um, I've actually just um, almost reached the end of a lot of performances that I've had recently. Um, so, I had my my final recital at the Sydney Conservatorium because that's where I've been studying music for the past four years. Yes. And I just finished that. Um, uh, one week ago or six days ago. Um, so I've only got one more recital at my church next, sorry, this coming Friday. If you want to come, you can, uh-huh. <laughs> it's a bit dumb, but, um, no, I've got one on Friday evening and then actually I've got a bit of a break after that. Um, so I'm yeah, quite looking forward to having a break right now, but then I've got some more coming up next year as well. I have a suggestion. I might yeah. not be able to come this time to listen to yeah. you. But yeah. how about you coming uh, uh, to the to the to the world of organists through internet and live live streaming your your recital? Have you ever thought about that? I I, I never really thought about doing that. How do you do that at all? Or I do this every time. I, yeah. I have a cell phone. This one. Yeah. And yep. it works on Facebook, it, it works on YouTube, whatever platform you would like to use. And um, just recently, two days ago on Saturday, I played improvisation recital, entire hour, you know, based on, on the poetry of the Baroque poet uh, from Vilnius, uh, Sarbiavius is his name. And a researcher of his poetry was uh, reciting his poetry to the listeners downstairs and she was standing in front uh, or next to me and I was sitting on the organ bench and I would uh, improvise illustrations uh, between of those and everything was broadcasted live through through a a special 
software called, called uh, Restream, Restream to yep. six different platforms at once, <laughs> to okay. Facebook, to YouTube, to Twitch, yep. to LinkedIn, yep. to Twitter, yep. and wow. uh, oh, to DLive, there is uh, one more. So I had accounts set up for each of the platforms and I yep. broadcasted it live. So it didn't take any extra effort from my part, but but I was everywhere present. <laughs> yeah, that's a very good idea. Yeah. Yeah. So, I think that must also change um, the way that you think when you're playing. If you know that it's being, um, it's being broadcast, maybe you'll be a little bit more careful when you, when you're actually playing in the recital. First, yes. I remember that my first recording, it was, I was terrified. Actually, it was yeah. really, really stressful. My yeah. first improvisation, happened in 2000 i think 13 or maybe 11 maybe 11 on this yep. old historic organ uh, from 19th century and i was i put a camera in, next to me and yeah. i was playing it live and i was really really uh, stressed stressed out because i knew this that people will be watching you know me years from now and i was very very insecure but that was my beginning and now today, yeah. I'm you know, quite comfortable and um, quite comfortable. So maybe I would say you will not feel great about that if you choose to do this, but, but um, it's probably uh, a learning uh, process. After five years, after five recitals, you will always maybe find some kind of revelation or a breakthrough yeah. in this. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. So, Sam, can you share with our listeners some some place online where you they could find more about you and your work? Uh, they could visit you, say hello. And yeah. Um, so, I think the main place at the moment is my Facebook page. Yes. Uh, which is called Samuel Giddy Organist. Um, so it's not too hard to find. Um, I also have a. SoundCloud page where I occasionally put some recordings of myself. Um, I do not currently have a YouTube channel, but I should start that soon, hopefully. Um, yeah, that, those are the main places at the moment. And of course, your own website in, in the future, if you will ever get your own domain like this, yeah. that, yeah, that, that would be, I think, beneficial in the future because then you will not have to rely on external platforms. Maybe yeah, your yeah. own website will become like a hub or of your own. Uh, yeah, yeah. Presence. It's actually been something that I've been meaning to do for quite a while, but I just haven't had time to do it recently. Just but maybe I'll do that over the, buy a domain. Yeah, the next few weeks after the recitals finish up. Yes. Yeah. So thanks so much, Sam. Good luck in your other performances and appearances. And um, will you be studying for master's degree too? Sorry, what was that? Uh, are you planning to study for master's degree? Um, probably down the track, but probably um, not next year, but maybe in two years' time or so. Mm -hmm. So maybe yeah. when you study, start your master's studies, we can repeat our conversation here. Yeah, that would be good. Yeah. And it would be lovely to have some updates from you what happened in the beginning. Yeah. Maybe new competitions, maybe new prizes. <laughs> maybe, yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. This blog is supported by Total Organist, the most comprehensive organ training program online. 
where you will find courses for every area of organ playing, including technique, practice, sight reading, repertoire playing, hymn playing, improvisation, composition, music theory and harmony, with hundreds of scores and thousands of exercises. Here is what some of the students are saying. Hugh writes, the sight reading course has helped me tremendously. Thank you very much for SS courses and all your help. Robert writes, I found the fingerings, registration ideas and general comments to be excellent. John writes, I have found your download very helpful. It was really excellent. I have watched some of your teaching videos and when I read your instructions. I try to imagine you are there teaching me. You may feel disappointed that I am two three days behind, but I am a slow learner and I have committed to taking the time to get it right as you say. But the other night my wife commented that she had never heard me play such a detailed melody in the left hand so well. My left hand is generally poor. Robert writes, It has been a great pleasure in my life of having discovered your courses and material as well as the YouTube work of recordings. You have a calm and pleasant way of teaching. Ron writes, Hi Vides and Osha, thank you guys. What a wonderful response to my email note to you. You've got me right, and I feel you understand my level of playing. Yes, at home and lucky that I have an organ for that reason. I am paying attention to this, and I am going to try this haha no longer secret model. Yes, and I love Caesar Frank too. What is very nice about your blog podcast is that Osha and Vidas are like a Socratic dialogue, and by bouncing things off of each other, so much more information comes out and is expressed. Your comments contain a wealth of information and understanding. I really appreciate this. It is very inspiring and will keep us moving forward. Would you like to receive the same or even better results that our students are getting? If so, join them at organduo.lt slash total organist. And of course, you will get the first month free too. You can cancel anytime. Also, if you haven't yet subscribed to receive free updates of this blog, make sure you do that at organduo.lt. By subscribing, you will also receive free video, how to master any organ composition and 10-day organ playing mini course. This was Vidas and Osha from Secrets of Organ Playing. And remember, when you practice, miracles happen.